Praise God. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Genesis, the sixth chapter, would you? Praise God. I haven't missed a service, but it seems like I've been gone a long time. We've been up camp all week, and we've been working, and we've been worshiping. Someone made reference to going up tomorrow night. I would advise you not to go to camp tomorrow night because it's all over. Okay? (laughs) So don't go tomorrow night. It's all over tomorrow at noon. This was your last chance, really. Because the day sessions are closed to campers only. And if you were to go tomorrow, you might not be able to get in. And it's too late to drive there tonight. So uh, don't go tomorrow night. We wouldn't want you to drive up there and nobody be up there. But I'll tell you, the young people are having a great time. Some of our uh, young people here, they're here tonight, were up there earlier. Brother Mike Leahy, Brother Cornelius Henderson. Uh, we have anybody else up there? Uh, of course, uh, uh, Brother Roy Grant's been up there with me all week. Sister Grant's been up there also. But, uh, oh, they're having a great time. Brother Johnson, Brother Rex Johnson, who preached over in Milwaukee at a rally that was held over there back in April, is doing a fantastic job preaching. The Spirit of the Lord is moving in a great way. I have a subject that I want to talk to you about tonight. I just have a good number of things that I want to cover in this message And the passage of Scripture that I want to read is found in Genesis, the 6th chapter. And we'll start reading with verse 5. And we'll read down through verse 8. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, And it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, and the creeping thing, and the fowls of the air. For it repenteth me that I have made them. Verse 8, But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And this is what I want to talk to you about. Verse 8, But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. You may be seated. Some time ago, I talked to you about repentance, and that repentance, as we find in the Bible, has very definite fruits are ways in which you can measure repentance. Now, for 2 Corinthians, the 7th chapter, verse 11, we talked about the fruits of repentance, the way in which you can measure repentance. And while we look at repentance as being a very negative thing, by that I mean things that we oppose. We repent over the, our sin. We repent over the fact that we have done wrong. We repent over the fact that that uh, things have not been right. We repent over the fact that we had evil thoughts. We repent over the fact that 
that we have evil deeds. Repentance is not altogether a negative thing. It's a very positive thing also. There is a place in a repentant prayer in which you move from the negative into the positive. And what I want to talk to you about tonight is mercy and grace. Now basically mercy, maybe somebody can help me out. Now before I give my definition, could somebody tell me what mercy is? Brother John? All right, mercy is the withholding of judgment. Would somebody else like to help out here tonight? Okay, Brother Dave. Leniency in judgment, all right. Okay. Any other definition on on uh, mercy? Okay, Sister Rowe. Unmerited favor of God. Okay, Brother Don. Compassion. All right, it's a showing of compassion. All right, mercy, my definition of mercy would be the withholding of judgment. And grace is unmerited favor. Now, mercy is withholding of judgment and grace is the showing of favor. Now, Brother Dave Stitch's definition, leniency, in judgment would be absolutely correct. Compassion in judgment. Now, these are all good definitions, but the way I want to use it tonight is the withholding of judgment altogether. It's not, a, it's not allowing judgment to come. At all upon you. Now, I have observed something here, and this would be a good time for me to talk about it, and perhaps give you some help. Quite often when I'm preaching to the sinner on a Sunday night or Sunday morning, great conviction comes to the child of God. And I give an altar call or an opportunity for people to come and find the Lord. And the altar fills up with our own people. Now my preference would be that even if you feel conviction that you wait, okay, until such a time that we invite the sinner to come. Now keep that in mind. I don't mind seeing a person who is backslidden or cold come to the altar when I give an altar call. But I think that it's possible for all of us when preaching is given for all of us to feel conviction or for us to feel condemnation at a particular point in the message. Now what happens quite often, especially to young people, Young people get very discouraged with their lives because they cannot live an overcoming life. Now, when we say overcoming life, I think a lot of young people have the concept that they finally reach the point 
in their experience in which they never make a mistake. And they should reach that point in which they don't make a mistake. And that's their concept. So as a result, being that they're constantly making mistakes, that when they do fail the Lord, they have a tendency to give up. Altogether, just give up. And then, of course, the preacher gets up and he preaches. Condemnation comes to them. And they flood in great droves to the altar. And they keep promising the Lord, I'm not going to do this again, Lord. And sure enough, they fall again. And they feel a million miles away from God. And when they're feeling this way, they feel as if they are totally out of the picture with God altogether. And they feel backslidden as a goose, so to speak. I don't know how a goose feels when he backslides, but, you know, they just feel out of it. Preacher preaches and condemnation comes and they run back to the altar. And uh, then they come again. And they run back to the altar and they come again. Now, in case you are misinformed, I would like to tell you something. That I feel that very same way real often. But I have come to the conclusion that my entire Christian experience is striving for that high calling in Christ. And I do make a lot of mistakes. I made a lot of mistakes. Now, I don't know if this is altogether proper to tell this, but I'll tell this little story without uh, relating the individual, but I had to preach in Eau Claire last Friday night. Well, a brother came in my office last Friday, and he and I got into a real discussion. Well, when we got into this discussion, things didn't go so good. And the longer we talked, the worse it got. So finally, we kind of parted with some feelings. Well, I had to preach that night in Eau Claire, and, and I was very, very busy because I had to run home and get back to the bank and take care of a few things. Well, I was running late. But what the deal was, the Lord kept talking to me. Now, the Bible tells us not to let the sun go down on our wrath. And so, because that I had made it very clear that I was upset, and because I had not handled the situation quite the way I felt that it should have been handled, I made my way back to the church hoping to find the brother over here praying or something. Well, he wasn't here. So I went to Hardy's and picked up a cup of coffee, came back, and still wasn't here. I said, now, I don't think I can go preach over in Eau Claire until I get this settled. I just didn't feel right about it, see. So I went uh, to the bank and came back, and I found the brother and his wife over here, and they were about to come inside and pray. Now, you see, as far as I could tell, 
it was a situation that happened in which neither one of us really wanted it to happen. But as we began to converse, some feelings were shown by myself and also by the brethren. But you see, God was dealing with me about that. I said, no, I can't go over there. I told Sister Grant what had happened. I said, I'm going to wait until this brother comes by the church. I know he's going to be by the church. Well, I called his house and there was no answer there. Now, the brother I'm speaking of is right here in this congregation tonight. Now, I told Sister Grant, I said, I cannot go to Eau Claire and preach what I'm supposed to preach until I settle this. Now, this is ridiculous. It uh, it just be very hypocritical for me to go to Eau Claire and tell everybody how that they're supposed to respond to certain life-given situations when I haven't passed the test myself. So I waited around over at the bank and messed around and came back and here the brother and his wife were and they were coming in to pray. So... Went right in the office and I looked him right in the eye and I said, Now I want you to forgive me. I'm sorry. I, uh, and of course he felt the same way and we just had a good little crying spell there and we made up and you see, all I could see was Sunday morning, come Sunday morning, me coming to church and him coming to church and maybe having some feelings, you know, sticking out on your sleeve so that when he passes by, he's going to turn his head and I'm going to turn my head. I said, now we can't act like that. And so we got it out in the open and before sun went, before the sun went down on our wrath and before it was time to preach, I was feeling as happy as a lark. Now you see, this is the reason why that we need an advocate. The Bible says... There is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. While Jesus was here, he taught us to turn the other cheek. Did he not? And he passed all these tests for us. He's an understanding God. But I've got to tell you that knowing myself the way I know myself, I have to constantly find a place in where I can find mercy. Now, we want to talk about mercy for a while because I feel that this is so very important. The Bible says, but Noah found grace. But you see, we all need to be able to come to God for mercy. And if you ever reach the place in which you think you're so good that you don't need mercy, you are too good for your own good. And you are deceiving yourself. Do you know that one of the hardest things in the world for some people to do is to say, I'm sorry? They don't know how to do it. Now, I knew that I had made a mistake. I had admitted that I had made a mistake. And while I understood enough about God to know that if I'd let that thing go and not taken care of it, I wasn't qualified to do the work of the Lord. 
But on the other hand, I determine in my heart we're going to settle it right now. We're not going to wait any longer. And I'm going to go ahead and preach and do what I need to do. I've asked God to forgive me. But on the other hand, I haven't asked my brother. And so we're not going to allow a mistake to become a stopgap in our Christian experience. And I'll tell you the truth. Not that I'm happy that something like this happened. But oh, when I preached Friday night, I could feel the anointing. And did you know when I preached Sunday morning, I could still feel that special touch from God. And it's not like I say that I want to go make another mistake so that God will show more favor. That's not it at all. But there is a real release inside of the soul. All of us need to understand the extreme importance of coming to God and bringing all of our cares and our troubles to Him. Now that's a very, very important thing. Now, I have observed through prayer meetings that I have conducted and been involved in uh, all of my Christian experience, so a lot of people don't know how to pray. Their prayers are... Our prayers like this. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You know, every now and then, while we are thankful, we need to take out some of those phrases that we use in vain reputation, or repetition, rather. Just over and over and over, we need to take those words out and see how much we're really praying. Take out all the thank you Jesus and glory hallelujahs and praise gods and, and such and see what you're really putting into your prayers. I am not trying to say that we shouldn't be thankful. No, that's not it at all. But we use those phrases a lot because we can't think of anything else to say. And they're just fill words. As Jesus spoke concerning the Pharisees, you pray in vain repetition. Same thing over and over and over. Prayers become so redundant. Same old thing. God heard that last night. He hears it tonight. He's going to hear it again tomorrow night. Now, while I do believe in anointed praying, I also think that every man should develop a relationship with God in which he can talk to God about himself. Just like he would be able to talk to a friend about himself. And just sit down and look God in the face, so to speak. And you don't have to be preaching when you do it, but say, Now God, I need help. And I'm here to confess to you that I have done wrong. Now, there you may say, well, what if you haven't done anything wrong? Now, wait a minute. Now, we're all on this earth. And I detect in myself very often real hypocrisies. I, I, I detect this. Now, I pointed out one little thing about myself. I'll point out something about some of you. You know, we have people in this church who are chronically sick all the time. 
chronically sick. But if they're planning a vacation, they never miss. And if they're going shopping, they always go. And they always go to work, especially, especially, listen to me, when all their sick days are used up. But they miss one or two services every week. Now you may say, what are you trying to say? I think that's hypocritical. In other words, how can you always buy your groceries? And how can you always fix your meals and feed your own face, but you can't come and eat at God's table? Hello? Y'all still out there? When vacation time is set, you always go. You never delay. You use up all your sick days, but when they're used up, you always go to work. Now, I think if this is true of you, then... You need to find a place to talk to God about it. Am I narrow-minded? In other words, we say, well, we're sick. No, you're just tired. And the devil's flogging your back. And you're listening to him. And you're laying out of church simply because you don't want to come. And don't be calling somebody saying you're sick when you're not sick. We'll let that one soak in. So you can get in habits of being dishonest. Isn't that right? You can just get in habits of being dishonest. And it's easy to be dishonest. I mean, it's extremely easy to be dishonest. Extremely easy. See? If you needed the money and you had no sick time left and you had a slight headache, you'd go and you'd work all day long because you know you need the money. And you know you might get fired if you don't go. And while we're apostolic and we pray for the sick and do a little bit of everything here, and you're telling yourself, well, I can't come because I don't feel well. Well, I understand there are times when people are genuinely sick. I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about just people who chronically miss church. I'm at one or two or three services. You know. We had a boy in our church now. He's not in our church now. And uh, if I were to call his name, most of you would know this man and his wife. But uh, they're not here, and that's by no surprise. Because when you develop these particular patterns, you see, the, God has a way of saying, I can't tolerate this. Well, 
The boy's working on a bus route, so I called him in. I said, now, I, I'm sorry, I just can't let you work on the bus route. He said, oh, Brother Grant, please let me work on the bus route. I said, now, I want to show you something. I had a three-month calendar. I said, out of three months now, you have only come on Sunday morning, and you have missed one out of every three Sunday mornings. You have attended no Thursday night service and no Sunday night service. Well, he said, we have this health problem. I said, but you know, I also marked down the times that you said you were out of town going up to see your folks. Now, I took it on myself to always ask you, how did your weekend go? You know, he never missed a weekend seeing the folks. I said, now, you see, here's a situation. You're going out and you're talking to people about what? About church. What do you tell them when you talk to them about church? You always say, Come to Calvary Gospel Church. But how can you say come to Calvary Gospel Church when you don't think it's important? But I do think it's important. No, in word you think it's important, but in deed you don't. See? So I cannot allow a bus worker to go around and herd up all the kids on the block and talk to the parents about how important it is when he won't come himself. Now, God can not bless a lie. And the truth of the matter is, when you say it's important and you don't come yourself, you are living a dishonest life. Now, we're going to give you a month here and you either come to church and, and get right or you quit the bus route. Well, he quit the bus route. Actually, he didn't quit it. I guess I... After a month, I decided that he ought to quit it. And he did. Well, uh, somebody told me who worked with him said, Now, but if you take the bus route away from him, he may not ever come back to church. And he's been back a couple of times since the bus route was taken away from him. Now, I'm not saying all this to be critical of the individual, but you see, coming to church alone, you know, just simply because that you, that you, that you got something to do is not right either. You, know, you can't keep somebody coming on Sunday morning. But you see, this is the this is the discrepancy that that can be in lives. And I would say that if you were to examine your life tonight, just like I'll examine mine, and we lay it before God and ask God to help us to understand what we're doing that's wrong, that God will point out some things to you in which you can help yourself in. And just because you find an area in which you really need to work on yourself doesn't mean that you need to just fold up and sit down and say, well, I can't do anything because I have some problems. While I am not saying all of this to encourage nor to enhance sin, God forbid, I want to be real enough in my definition of grace for us to understand that it is by grace through faith that we're saved. But we cannot receive grace until we have first found mercy. And that is such an important thing. Now, I, I must tell you that that uh, the story I'm about to tell that 
that you would probably be able to look at my life and, and, and you'd be able to point out situations in which maybe I have not been this faithful. But I remember when uh, I received a call from the Lord to move to Shano. The Lord talked to me about moving to Shano. I'd come to Clintonville and preached revival for Brother David Fuller, who was a pastor there. And we did not have a church in Shano. And this was our camp city, where our camp uh, uh, is. So I went back home, and, and our church was self-supporting. And uh, I say it was self-supporting. Pardon me. It was not self-supporting at the time. It, at one time, it was self-supporting, but because of some basic needs we had, I had uh, taken on a contract to build a few homes. So I was building some homes at this time. But I decided what I'd do is build us a new home. So we had a new home, and we were just finishing it when the Lord talked to me and said, Now I want you to move to Shano. Well, I was working hard on that home. I was working like 2 o'clock in the morning. I was getting up and going to work at 7, working to 4 and 5 in the afternoon, come home, get dressed and go out and visit for a while. Then come back home and eat supper and pray, get on my work clothes and go work on our house. Now that's a pretty tough job. I was a whole lot younger than what I am now, by the way. I don't know if I could do that now. But nevertheless, I was doing all of this, and the Lord told me, said, now you need to sell this home and move to Shano. Now, we really prayed about it. This was, I built the house, and Sister Grant picked out all the colors. We had a built-in range and nice custom-built cupboards that I'd put in there, and she picked out the cupboard tops, and she actually painted the outside of the house, everything about it. And uh, we had a big brick planters out in the front, and it was a nice home. And uh, I told her we were going to move. Well, she hated to give all that up, and I did too. But we resigned the church. Now, here I am without a church home. I'm a preacher, but I don't have a church home. It's easy then, in a situation like that, to make excuses and miss church. Why? Because I'm still working on the house, trying to finish it. I have been relieved of my pastoral responsibilities at our church. And I'm working full time on a job. But uh, we would go to Longview and attend church there. Well, I remember I advertised this home in the Nacogdoches paper and some of the area papers. I was just going to try to sell it myself. And I remember picking up my Bible, closing my Bible after prayer, and I started to walk out of the door to go to church. I was in Longview at the time. I'd spent the night with my mom and dad and Cushing where we pastored and where our home was was 55 miles away but the phone rang and my mother answered it and said it's for you John so I took the phone and, and there was a lady that uh, talked with me and she said uh, we were just passing through Nacogdoches we saw a listing in the paper on your house we went by Cushing we swung by there now Nacogdoches is about 60 miles or 70 miles from Longview. They swung by there. She said, uh, uh, we're down here uh, around Henderson, I think. 
and said, uh, we would like for you to come down and show us the house. I said, well, ma'am, I'm just walking out the door to go to church. She said, you mean to tell me you would not miss church to sell a home? And I said, well, <laughs> being you put it that way, I've got to tell you, no, I won't. I said, I feel that if you looked at the house and you like it, you'll at least wait till after I go to church. Well, the hard part about a decision like that was this. That the Sunday before I went to church there, the same place, and preached on Sunday night, and Sister Spears, who was the pastor's wife, stood up during prayer service and said, We're going to pray that Brother Grant will sell that home by this time next Sunday night. And several people stood up in that service and said, I believe Brother Grant's going to sell that home by this time next Sunday night. And here I was turning down an opportunity to sell it. Now I'm giving you this story and I say, now uh, you may find some discrepancies in my life that don't measure up to this. But you see, Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all His righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. What was he talking about? He was talking about where you were to live. He was talking about food for your stomach, shoes for your feet, and raiment for your body. And he said, now if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things shall be added unto you. So I told her, I said, I will not miss church. She said, okay, as soon as church is over, we'll wait for you and Tyler. Meet us at a certain shopping center. And we did. We met them there, Sister Grant and I did. Got in their car. We drove back down to Cushion, long ways down there. They simply walked through the house. The lady took out her checkbook and said, we'd like to buy it right now. Do I just give you a check for it? I said, no, I don't think you sell a house that way. I... I <laughs> Uh, you just don't write out a check for cash. She said, well, we don't want anybody else to buy it. It's just a house we want. We're retiring. We're moving up into this area. So she gave me a check for earnest money. Would you believe I swallowed a piece of ice here and I got another one? <laughs> Pardon me. <laughs> I couldn't talk with that ice in my mouth. <laughs> But uh, she, she gave me a check, and that settled it. And, and I got back to church just in time to go to the prayer room. Somebody walked up and said, Brother Grant, did you sell that house? And I said, I certainly did. They said, when? I said, oh, about an hour ago. Praise God. And we used the money for that house to move to Wisconsin and buy the building in Shano. Now... There are times, however, when I don't pass a test like that. i got to tell you. And there are times when I feel very miserable about my life. Now, in Hebrews, the fourth chapter, and I've called your attention to this passage of Scripture before, but I'd like you to turn there, and I just want to give you an explanation of what I think the Bible is actually talking about. You see, if you will honor God, God will always honor you. 
And if you'll respect God, He'll always respect you. If you will show favor to Him, He'll always show favor to you. And even if you make mistakes, if you will try your dead level best, to be honest, it's going to go a long ways with God. But you see, there's one thing that God cannot stand. God can not stand hypocrisy. He can't stand it. Hebrews, the fourth chapter, verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. Now notice what he says. Let us hold fast our profession. We are to confess with our mouth. And this confession with our mouth that Jesus is Lord... And salvation is granted as a result of our, of our obedience to the Scripture. This is called our profession of faith. Now notice verse 15. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we, yet without sin. Now the context of the scripture is dealing with temptation and infirmities. In other words, it's dealing with sin in a man's life. Now notice what he said. We should always hold fast our profession. Why? Because... We have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmity. If you make a mistake, in other words, what he's saying is, don't give up. Because we have a method, we have a way in which we can obtain mercy from God. Now, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't feel horrible about it. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't feel badly about the things that you do that's wrong. That's not it at all. You see, John put it like this. He said, My little children, I forbid that you sin not. But if you sin, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. In other words, the doctrine of the Scripture is, Don't you dare intentionally sin just forget about the possibility existing in you and you do your dead level best to live separate and free and apart from any iniquity from any failures from any hypocrisy however if you do remember don't give up. We have an advocate. Now notice what he's saying. He was in all points tempted like as we. 1 Timothy 2, 15. Well, as the Bible says, there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Now notice what is used here. It says the man 
Christ Jesus. The man Christ Jesus. The man Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ was more than just a man. But when temptation was laid upon him, it was laid upon him as a man. And mediatorial ship comes through human flesh. Jesus Christ, not the mighty God, but Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So our sin touched Him. He bore it on the cross. Now notice verse 16. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace. Grace. Let's say it together. Grace. Let's say it again. Grace. What is grace? It's unmerited favor. It means favor that God shows to you that you don't really earn nor deserve. And so His throne is called a throne of grace. But notice what the Scripture says. We come boldly before the throne of grace that we may do what? Obtain Mercy. And mercy is what? The withholding of judgment. And you will find in real true repentance, the negative aspect is dealing with mercy that you need so much, but the positive aspect, what you endorse and what you take on, such as your vehement desire and your zeal and your revenge of satanic forces. This part comes after grace has been given. And so we go before the throne of God. When we go before the throne of God, we go before the throne of God first, saying, forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation. Now, Jesus prayed that way. How come we can't? You know the reason why we can't sometimes? Because we're too proud to even admit that we make mistakes. And just as I have called your attention to a couple of situations which I feel that I dealt with that situation in a very scriptural way and God honored it. i got to tell you, I also called your attention to a situation here tonight in which I don't feel that I was so scriptural. And I could call your attention to many things in my life in which I know I could improve on. But you see, true honesty in your relationship with God starts in coming before Him and saying, God, are you pleased with me? If not, show me. Search me, God. You notice when Paul gave the communion to the Corinthians. You notice what he says in 1 Corinthians 11, 31 and 32. Turn there.
1 Corinthians 11:31 For if we would judge ourselves we shall not be judged Now we talked about mercy and that's a withholding of judgment In other words if a man will judge himself God won't judge him You notice what he's saying let a man examine himself verse 28 Look at himself See if he understands that he's been doing some things that are wrong. And what he goes on to say, For if we would judge ourselves, we shall not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. In other words, the Bible says, If any man shall fall upon the rock, speaking of Christ Jesus, he shall be broken. But upon whom the rock shall fall, it shall grind him to powder. Now God is saying this through the Apostle Paul. Look at yourself. If somehow the Holy Ghost can point out something that you're doing that's wrong, He's going to do it. And if through that self-evaluation you can come to the conclusion that you need improvement, you simply go and empty that on the altar before God and say, God, here it is. I have not been praying as much as I ought to. I haven't been fasting as much as I ought to. I haven't been as kind and charitable as I ought to. I haven't been as considerate as I ought to. I haven't been doing your work like I ought to. Whatever it is, lay it out there. Now he says, if a man will do this, he shall not be judged. What's he going to do? He's going to find mercy from God. See? But now, suppose he doesn't do that. Then what's God going to do? He's going to lay something on you so that you'll wake up and pass judgment upon yourself. Now notice what he says. Let's back up. Verse 28. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. In other words, God allows a certain situation to come, just like a, a parent would take a child, and a parent would take and spank that child, because that child has been naughty. Now, why does the the child receive a spanking from his father? Because the father loveth him, the scripture says. He doesn't want that child to fall a victim at the unmerciful hands of society. You let that child be picked up on the street corner someplace and you let him be put in prison and you let him stand before a judge. Then parents will say, well, I wish I'd have raised him differently. See? 
That, that's, what, that's what he's saying here. God's going to lay something on you so that you'll understand. And if you're involved right now in some adverse situation or some adverse circumstance, the best thing for you to do is search your heart thoroughly. You may say, does that mean if some adverse situation comes my way that I have sinned? No. It does not mean that you've sinned. But it does mean that you might have sinned. And it doesn't hurt you ever to do some soul searching. It never hurts you. So you see, you can't lose if that is your attitude. Now notice what Paul is saying. Then what happens? He said, when we go before the throne of grace, we go there boldly that we may obtain mercy. But it is a throne of grace. After mercy has been granted, that is withholding of judgment, God then... Does what? He shows favor to us. By saying, okay, now you have asked me to forgive you. Now I'd like to do something real nice for you. See? Not that we're worthy. No. Because, you see, grace is unmerited favor. God is just so good that he will say, all right, I forgive you. Now, please, God is a long-suffering God, but the long-suffering with God was never designed for people to take advantage of. Some people say, well, oh, God's so long-suffering, and one of these days I'm going to stop this. Now, listen, you have that attitude, and you're going to find out that you're going to be judge of the Lord quickly. See? Because his long-suffering was not designed for people to take advantage of. You, know, you wear out your welcome at his throne in a hurry. So I want to make it very clearly, or very clear rather, God is not interested in tolerating just little puppy dog tears that you pray and a lot of messing around the throne. He's not interested in that. But he is genuinely interested in forgiving you if you come with a sorrowful heart. He is genuinely interested in it. Now I read a scripture in your hearing and preached on it several years ago. And I'd like to call your attention to it. It's found in 1 Peter, the fourth chapter. 1 Peter, the fourth chapter. <clears throat> I wish I had time to read the whole fourth chapter. It's such a beautiful, beautiful chapter. If you notice verse 5, I'll just point some scriptures out to you. Who shall give an account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead? All right. 
For for this cause was the gospel preached unto them that are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. But the end of all things is at hand. Be therefore sober and watch unto prayer. Now he goes on and covers a number of things right here. He talks about charity covering a multitude of sins. And then he goes on down to say, verse 15, But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end of them that obey not the gospel? What shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Now, if I understand what Paul or Peter is saying here, he's saying, hey, you know, judgment is coming to this world. There is no possible way because the scripture has declared the soul that sinneth it shall surely die. However, he goes on to say, but now before God judges the world, he does it in a very unique fashion. You know what he does? He first looks down upon the righteous. He looks down upon the confessing Christian world. And this is what he's saying. Before God's going to make your neighbor feel guilty about his hypocrisy, he's going to first make you feel guilty about yours. You follow the logic? In other words, if God can't get his own people to recognize their faults, he will never get the world to recognize theirs. And if we ever get to the place that we feel that we're so stinking good and so righteous that we don't have to look for mistakes and discrepancies in our own life, he will never get the world to look at theirs. Now, why does God want to do it that way? Because the scripture says that judgment is inevitable. It's going to come. There is no possible way that God can keep from judging the world. And he says, I will judge the world. But he says, you know, this world needs a measuring stick. In other words, when God looked down upon the world and he says, I'm going to destroy the world. And the Bible says it repenteth God. That simply means that God says, oh, why did I ever do this? Why did I make man? Why? Tell me. And the Bible says that God says, I will destroy man from the face of the earth. 
But before he would send judgment, you know what he did? He began to deal with a man by the name of Noah. And he dealt with Noah. And he talked to Noah. And then the scripture says, While God repented that he had made man, and he said, I will destroy man from the face of the earth. Then the scripture says, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah, the Bible says, was a preacher of righteousness. But the scripture leads us very carefully to an understanding. Turn with me to first. I say first, turn with me to Hebrews, the 11th chapter. Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11. Verse 7. By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. How did Noah condemn the world? Was it his preaching that condemned them? No. Was it him standing over them and telling them that you're going to die in the flood? No, friend. The Bible says he was moved with fear and he prepared an ark. In other words, his actions, his actions, every nail that went in the ark, every effort that was put in the saving of his household condemned the world. Noah condemned the world because he found grace in the eyes of God. And the reason why that judgment must come first to the house of the Lord is this. God knows that your neighbor is lost and he knows that he must make your neighbor feel bad, horrible, condemned about his sin. But what, God, what is God going to do? He's going to look down and he's going to say, Brother Seidel, you need to improve a little bit. And every time you find mercy and you get a little bit better, your neighbor's going to feel a little bit more conviction. You see, the world that's headed toward judgment needs an example, it needs a measuring stick. And God says this world's going to be judged. Church, He says, You. You, 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 you church, you strive for that high calling that's in Christ Jesus. While I do believe that we go around preaching the gospel and that the kingdom of God is at hand, I believe that there are more people in this world that are convicted when they see a righteous life than any other method. Ever. They say, what's happened to that George O'Neill? 
He sure is a changed man. Man, he goes out to church every Sunday morning while I'm loading up my boat and motor. I sure feel bad when I'm out there loading it up. He's getting in his car and driving by with his Bible in his hand. Amen. But you see, if Brother George is loading up his boat and motor, and the neighbor leaves, and Brother George pulls his out, they both wave and go their separate ways. There's no conviction in their neighbor's heart. Why? Because God couldn't talk to Brother George about his. See? Come to church with me Sunday. I'll declare we intended to come, but wife had a headache. But I noticed your wife didn't go either. Oh, well, she wasn't feeling too good either. Well, I told my wife, don't feel so bad because, you know, brother so-and-so, his wife didn't go either. Am I preaching to you tonight? You know I am. And you know what I'm saying is 100% correct. Now, there is such a thing as being sick to the point where you can't go. And there's such a thing as your neighbor being sick to the point where he can't go. But I'm talking about laying your life honestly before God and saying, God, here I am, Lord. I'm not going to give up. I know I failed you. I may fail you again, God. But I want you to look at my life. I want you to examine me. I want you to get a hold of me, God. I want to be as good a Christian as I can. And I'll tell you what. If you'll do that, you'll have a real stir among your neighborhood like you never had before. People wonder what's happening. Oh, praise God. Praise God. You know, then Paul had this to say. Romans 8 verse 1. There is now therefore no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. How do we walk not according to the flesh? When we present our bodies every day, every day, every day, every day to God. Paul said it like this, I put myself under every day. Lest by any means when I preach the gospel to others that I might become a castaway. Praise God. It's a good feeling. It's a good feeling. You know, there are certain things you've got to do to live for God. You've got to settle in your own mind that you're going to do it. You have to commit yourself to God. You've got to settle with all your friends. I don't know when is the last time that somebody invited me out for a drink. And I would say that I have as many friends in the world as you have. How come they don't ask me? You say, preachers don't drink. Oh, don't kid yourself. There are more preachers drink than any other profession. How come they don't ask me? They know I don't drink. And you know the reason why, young people, that some of you are constantly bugged by friends that want you to go out partying and drinking? Because you haven't yet settled it once and for all with your friends as to whose side you're on.
And you'll never be a Christian until there's a real showdown with yourself, with God, with your friends, and finally with the devil. But if you can't lick your flesh, friend, you won't lick the devil. But you see, you settle that. I don't think anybody ever, listen to me, I have never in my whole life had anybody to offer me a marijuana cigarette. If you call them cigarettes. You don't call them that, do you? I don't know how to talk that language. But I have never had anybody yet. And I'll tell you one thing. I have known of a lot of people that have smoked those things. Now you'd think somebody would come up and say, Brother Grant, wouldn't you like to have a, uh, a joint? Is that what you call it? How come they don't ask me? That's strange that some people they ask and some people they don't ask. How come they don't ask me? They say, oh, you're a preacher. Well, most preachers don't think it's wrong. How come they don't ask me? Because my, my friends know what side I'm on. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. And you know, we're just about ready. To hear the trumpet blow. And we're just about ready. To go into the tribulation period. Now if judgment. Is indeed inevitable. It's coming. More and more and more. The Holy Ghost is going to deal with your life. Why? Because he's going to deal with people outside. Of the church. But the context of the scripture is this. That judgment must first begin. At the house of God. If he can't get me honest. He can't get my neighbors honest. If he can't get me sincere about serving God. He can't get my neighbors sincere. If he can't keep me off the lakes and the creek banks on Sunday. He can't keep my neighbor off. Because it's my life that God will judge him by. It's my life that will condemn him. Praise God. Praise God. Would you stand with me at this time? Hallelujah. 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 Oh, praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God. <clears throat> hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord, blessed be the name of the Lord, blessed be the name of the Lord. Don't you feel the Spirit of the Lord here tonight? Oh, praise God, praise God, praise God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Now I want to say something before we go any further. Now this is vacation time of the year, and a lot of you have vacation scheduled. 
I'm not preaching this because I'm afraid you're going on vacation. In fact, I think you will go on vacations. I think you should go on a vacation. We're not talking about scheduled vacations. We're talking about every weekend having a vacation. That's what we're talking about. See, so please understand that. I'm not saying that I think there's something wrong with you going down to Florida or up into Canada or out east or wherever and enjoying yourself. But I will say this. When you do go, please remember you're still Christian. You don't leave your Bibles at home and stop praying and forsaking the house of God altogether. We're, we're talking about just being what you are, wherever you are, and being honest and being sincere. We do have quite a few new ones here, and I don't want anybody to feel guilty about going on a vacation. In fact, if I could work in one, I'd go on one right now. I really mean that. And I am going to go on a vacation one of these days. Praise God. But Paul, before he wrote chapter 11, this is what he said in Hebrews 10, Cast not away thy confidence, which has great recompense of reward. Praise God. And he goes on to talk about the will of God. After you've done the will of God, he said, you've got to wait patiently. And you know, that's where we are today. Praise God. We've got so many good people that are living good lives. And I'm not trying to use a Bible tonight as a club over your head to say that everybody here is doing mean, bad things every day. But I am not excluding the fact that there is a possibility of every last one of us. The scripture says, in the moment you think you stand, take heed lest you fall. About time you think you've got it all together. Something comes by to let you know that you do need God indeed. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Would you reach out to Him right now? Oh God, we love you. Now I'd like for everybody to find a place to kneel and pray if they would at the conclusion of this message tonight. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. God, we do love you, Jesus. God, we worship you. God, we praise you. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah.